Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. With the disciples, he's kind to these guys. When they're worried about stuff, when they're, you know, when they're flipping out because they're afraid, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And there's a couple of instances where they're on boats in the Sea of Galilee and, you know, there's storms and, and they're worried about stuff and Jesus comes and he just takes care of the thing, stands up and says, peace be still, peace be muzzled is literally what he said when he calmed the storm. And, and that kind of stuff. And you, so you see Jesus um, compassionate in those situations, but it's kind, of a, it's, it's kind of an edgy compassion in the sense of, you know, why were you worried? You woke me up from a nap because <laughs> you thought you're gonna die. Why don't, you, why don't you believe? Why don't you have faith? And so he's kind of edgy at the, at the same time with the disciples, which is okay, that's okay because they're supposed to be apostles. They're supposed to be like real, like real disciples, right? And so he, he gets on them a little bit. There are times when he really gets on them. And he, and he doesn't necessarily just rebuke them, but one of my favorites is they're, they're sitting there, they're walking along the road, Jesus is out in front, these guys are hanging back, and they're having an argument about who's the best, who's the most awesome, who's the greatest, that kind of stuff. And Jesus, when, when they get to town, he says, so, what were you talking about? when you were talking on the road. And they have nothing to say. They just, they just keep their mouths shut and then Jesus starts talking about, you know what, the Gentiles exercise lordship over each other and that is not what we do here. That's not where we live. And he gives them a rebuke. It's, it's a little bit edgy, but it's still gentle, that kind of thing. And so you see these times, right? And, so, and then there's other times when Jesus is just nothing but compassion. Well, that's who, that's who the Father is. That's how the Father acts. And I've seen that all through my life as a Christian. There have been times when the Lord just speaks to my heart and he nails me on things. And he's not being mean about it. He's just being straightforward. And he just nails me on things. Nails me on my attitude. Nails me on my lack of faith. Nails me on, you know, my, uh, my lack of faithfulness. He just nails me at times. And I get really convicted. Is that okay? I know he still loves me. And, and, and that's how he acts. And other times... I expect a heavenly hammer to come down on me and it's nothing but love, nothing but compassion, nothing but Jesus, you know, coming along and petting my head, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and so sometimes it's like that. And sometimes there's a flat out rebuke. And so you, you know, you have the instance with Peter where, you know, it's, it, it's in Matthew chapter 16 and Jesus is talking with the disciples. He says, who do men say that I am? They tell him. He goes, who do you say that I am? Peter comes up and he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, well done. Nobody told you that. And that didn't come from your flesh. That came from the, that came from the Father. 
That was a revelation. Well done, Peter. And five minutes later, Jesus is talking about going to the cross and Peter's going, no, you're not. Not so, Lord. Those are three words you don't put together. <laughs> that's, that's not how that's supposed to work. And Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. And I don't know exactly how he said that, but it doesn't matter to me how he said it. If Jesus had said to me, get behind me, Satan, that's not good. <laughs> I don't want Jesus to say that to me. So that's a rebuke. Uh, to somebody that Jesus loved, right? And so, again, you can go through all the stories. You know, some of my favorite ones are, are Jesus dealing with Peter. When, when, Peter's, when Peter's done, Peter's blown it big time after the cross. We're gonna get to it when we're in, in John chapter 21. Peter's just done. And he knows he's not worthy, which you know, lets you know that on some level before that point, he thought he was. And now he knows he's not at all. And he's like, I'm just, I'm going back to fishing. And Jesus shows up, gets him to jump out of the boat. He jumps out of the boat. He's, you know, he's out in the middle of the lake. Jumps out of the boat, comes swimming up. And he's all excited to see Jesus, probably until he got to the shore. And then what do you do? And he comes walking up and, and they, have, they have breakfast. Jesus has made breakfast for him. Jesus makes breakfast for people, right? That's what the father would do. And so he makes breakfast for him. And after breakfast, he goes, so Peter, do you love me more than these? He starts a conversation with him. And you know how that conversation went. He asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter said three times, yes, I do. Um, and that's, that's the short version of that. And what Jesus does is he restores the guy. He'd seen him walking away. He saw him dejected. He saw him in a situation where he was just going to go back to what he was doing. And it's not like he's abandoning Christ. He just didn't feel worthy to serve him. And so he's, he's walking away and he's going to go back to his old life because he's not worthy of the life that Jesus picked him, uh, picked him for. And Jesus comes along and he restores the guy. And he does it in front of all his friends. Restores the guy. And then Peter has a complete change from that point on. Holy Spirit comes inside him a few days later and all of a sudden Peter's up front, out front, doesn't give a rip about what anybody says about him. And there's a complete turnaround there. And so again, I just went through a whole bunch of stories there, but that's what the Father's like. Jesus has always been the revealer of the Father. And when you, when you look back at John chapter one and verse 14 and verse 18, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In verse 18, it says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father, he has revealed him. And so when you're talking about who God is, God in his fullness, it's always been Jesus's job to be the revealer of who God is. That also lets you know that every appearance you have of God in the Old Testament is Jesus. Jesus is the guy. He's always been the revealer of who the father is. That's always been his ministry. And so if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Do you, do you not believe, verse 10, that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. And so, you know, you've got this, this situation where Jesus is on earth, and one of the things that's actually going on here that you got to get in your head is that Jesus is really doing the human thing here. That's something that I could say. I couldn't say he who has seen me has seen the Father because no way am I, you know, am I that far along 
in any kind of walk that I have, but the works that I do, the words that I do, they're not things that are coming from me, they're things that are coming from the Lord. And that's the way that that's supposed to go. And what I'm talking about is anytime I'm doing it right, those things are coming from the Lord. And that's the way that these things work. And so when Jesus was here on earth, he was actually living life as a perfect man who was in perfect communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did were things that the Father was giving him to do. And in fact, Jesus didn't have the plan when he started. We, we talked about this when we were in John chapter five. In John chapter five, Jesus says, all the works that the Father does, I do in like manner. And he goes, and the Father has more works for me to do, greater works for me to do. And again, I'm gonna show you these things. Uh, show, uh, well, he'll, he'll show me greater works so that you can marvel. In any case, what Jesus said there was, it's the Father who's working through him and he doesn't know the whole plan because the Father's gonna reveal things and show him more things to do as time goes on. And what that lets you know is Jesus really did humanity. I always thought when I was, a, again, a young Christian before I knew this stuff, I kind of thought that what happened was Jesus got together with the Father and the Holy Spirit and they kind of planned things out before Jesus came down and then Jesus just came down and he kind of implemented the plan. And you know, he's God, and so he knows everything, and so he knows what's gonna happen next, and so he just kind of implemented each part of the plan as the situation came up. He just kind of plugged it all in. And that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that Jesus learned. He grew in wisdom and knowledge. He really did humanity. And so that's kind of a cool thing too, because you know, the Bible talks about the fact that um, we don't have a God who's distant, a God who's far off and doesn't know the feelings of my infirmity, but he was tempted in all points, just as I am, yet without sin. And I know the verse is there, that's in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, by the way. I know that the verse is there, but I never really believed it because I think it's different for Jesus, because he's God. And you know, it's like, yeah, you're going through all this stuff and you're doing humanity, but you're God doing humanity. And so, you know, it's like you, you can just do things where I can't. And what you find here is that there's a dependence of Jesus on the Father. Specifically, he talks about that in this passage. There's a dependence of Jesus on the Father and the works that Jesus is doing are the Father doing the works through him, which is exactly where I sit, it's exactly where you sit. We're all in exactly the same position. Jesus just did it right. And so there's an example there is the point that I'm making. You can do it right too. And the, the problems that we have is when we, when we venture out and we veer off from a dependence on the Lord. That's the problem. And if I stop veering off of my dependence on the Lord, everything's going to go the way that it's supposed to go. Everything's gonna go Jesus-like if I can, if I can you know, keep my head in the right place. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Christ, again, Colossians 1.15 says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And so again, you have Jesus and the Father 
in this relationship. Let me, let me show you another thing here. This, this, Jesus is in this passage, he's putting himself subject to the Father, right? He's put him, putting himself in the place of humanity. If you go over to Hebrews, we're gonna, we're gonna be back and forth in Hebrews, so you might wanna you know, keep your finger there. I got a couple of things in this chapter to talk about if I get to them all. In Hebrews chapter one, let's start in verse one, because you gotta have the whole thing. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he's appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. That's letting you know that Jesus is a creator. It's through Jesus that the worlds were made, right? There's another thing about this too. The word for worlds can literally mean what we think of as the world or the worlds. So it can be talking about planets and you know, all, the, all the bodies that you have in the universe, but it's also got a connotation of time too. And so it's literally the word in, in Greek, aeon or eon is, is how we would pronounce it. And so it means the ages. So not only did God, did Jesus create the material worlds, he created the ages that they dwell in. He creates time too. So just to let you know, and it goes on and says, who being the brightness of his glory, this is talking about the sun, and the express image of his person. See that phrase express image? Literally means character stamp. It's the idea of taking a coin and putting an image on the coin of somebody, you know, like we, we have coins and we have president's images on them. And so you have like Lincoln and you have Washington on the quarter and all, all that kind of stuff. And so the express image here is a little bit more intense than that. And it's the idea of a character stamp. And again, it's the idea that Jesus does everything. He is everything that the Father is. If, you, if you're looking at Jesus and you're seeing what he does, you're seeing exactly what the Father would do. He being the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. That phrase right there is the idea of he's holding everything together in the universe, all things, by the word of his power. You guys... You guys know about the strong and the weak nuclear force? Some of you guys work out at Hanford and stuff. There are things in the nucleus of an atom that shouldn't be so. There are electrical charges in atoms. And um, there are certain parts of atoms that should be flying apart and they don't. And we can break some of those bonds, but that's something that's common to all matter that you have in the universe. And what the Bible teaches is that God is holding these things together by his power. And not only does it teach it here in this passage, it also teaches it in the book of Colossians. But the Bible also teaches that there's coming a time when he's going to allow it to come apart. And so you read about this in the book of Revelation. Actually, we'll read about it in this passage too, um, where God is going to let go and the whole creation is coming apart and it's going to burn up. If you look over in verse 10, it says, you Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. 
And so the whole universe is gonna fold up at some point. And we have descriptions of that. In any case, I'm, I'm getting bogged down here because I like all this stuff. Holding all things to, by the word of his power, verse three, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so you have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And in this passage, it talks about the fact that he's the express image of the Father. If you look at verse eight, after this he goes through and he talks about Jesus being the Son. You are my Son today, I've begotten you. He, he says, I quotes another verse, I will be to him a Father, he'll be to me a Son. Then he starts talking about the angels. And in verse six it says, let all the angels of God worship him, talking about Jesus. And of the angels, and he's, the author Paul here is telling you what angels are made for, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers or servants in that passage a flame of fire. And so he talks about the angels are servants and ministers, spirits and ministers, spirits and servants. And then he says in verse eight, but to the son, and he's making a contrast between angels and the son here. And he says, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your, more than your companions. And in this, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Psalms in Psalm 45. And what he's doing is he's putting into the mouth of God the fact that he's calling the Son God. So you have the Father speaking in verse eight, your throne, O God, and he's talking to the Son. So the Father calls the Son God in that passage. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is your kingdom. And then if you look towards the end there, it says, therefore, God, your God. And so right there, God has a God. And so what that's talking about is the relationship in the Trinity. And so there are times when Jesus calls God his Father. There are times when Jesus calls God, God, God the Father, God. And there are also times when God the Father calls Jesus God. That's the point that I'm making here. So when you're, when you're talking about Jesus, he's the exact image of the Father. He's the character stamp of the Father. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. And you can't say that of anybody, whether you're talking about man or angel. You can't say that about anybody but Jesus, because he's the only one, because um, he and the Father are the one God. And, and we did um, verse 10, you Lord, um, see the word Lord there? And they did this on purpose in, in the translation here. They put it all in caps there so that you know that they're talking about Yahweh. So you know that they're talking about Jehovah out of the Old Testament. And so this is again the Father speaking to the Son and saying, you Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. And so the Father calls Jesus God. The Father talks about his righteousness and his kingdom the Father talks about Jesus being Yahweh or Jehovah. The Father talks about Jesus being the one who laid the foundation of the earth and the one that made the heavens and the one that's going to wrap them up and the one that's going to live eternally. That's what the Father says about Jesus in that passage. And so kind of interesting stuff. So back over in John 14, he says in verse 11, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. 
So he says, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, and the idea behind there is they're unbreakably one. They're unbreakably one. And we saw that again in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. And if you don't believe it just because Jesus said it, you need to believe it because of the work's sake. So you go through and you look at the works that Jesus did, nobody's done anything like what Jesus did, ever. He goes on in verse 12 here and he talks about prayer. He says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, you guys know what the word believe means, right? It means trust in, relies on, clings to, adheres to. He who believes in me, who trusts in me. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And what he's talking about there is answered prayer. And so Jesus has done works and he, and he just gets done talking the, about those works. And he says, the works that I do, you'll be able to do greater works than these. And the reason that you'll be able to do those works is because I go to my Father. He's gonna explain that a little bit later when he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit's going to empower us. I just said that nobody's done the kind of works that Jesus has done, right? And so you can't go through history and find anybody that's done anything like what Jesus did. And so you have a few people who have prayed and raised the dead. I don't know anybody that's ever walked on water. I don't know anybody that's ever stopped a storm. I don't know, you know, I don't know anybody in history that's ever done some of these things, right? And so a lot of times when people get to this passage, they'll look at it and they'll go, okay, well, what Jesus is saying is I can do greater works than him. And Jesus promises that that's true, but I wonder what the works are that he's talking about there. And so you see some cool things happening in the book of Acts. You know what you don't see? You don't see the apostles walking on water. You don't, you don't see them calming storms. You don't see them doing that. You know, you know, and you do see healings. There are healings there. And there's some really cool healings. And they, they did it with a lot of people. And so that, that's cool. That's, that's pretty neat. Paul smote one guy blind, right? And so there's an instance of that. Jesus didn't do that. He went the other direction. He made blind, guy, blind guys see. And Paul made, play, made seeing guys blind. And so you have that, that kind of instance and I always wondered what works he was talking about here. In fact, this is a verse that when I was a young Christian, I was at a Bible study and somebody quoted these, this verse. And they said, you know, in their, in their prayer, they, they said, you know, Lord, you said that we would do greater works than you. And so we, you know, and they went on with the prayer and said, we want to do something. I was like, oh, what, what? That's what I'm saying in my head. And then I started thinking about it and I went, you know what? I think I read a verse like that. And so I went and got my concordance. Concordance is a big book with all the words in the Bible in it. Went and got my concordance and looked up the word greater and started going through and I found this verse and I went, there it is, that's what it says. And then I started wondering what he was talking about because I have never seen anybody do, you know, do the kind of stuff that Jesus did. And so what's he talking about? And when you get to the book of Acts, this is kind of what I think he's talking about. Turn over to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2. And I'm talking, I'm talking here about greater works than the works Jesus did. In verse 41, after Peter gets done preaching, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. It's the first, first preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts, 3,000 people get saved. You know, when I preach the gospel, if it's a good day, 10 people get saved. This guy, first time he stands up, after he's totally blown it a month and a half before, 
First guy, first time he stands up, 3,000 people get saved. That's cool. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.